And, and, and there are inherent in that statement that we preach Christ crucified two major scandalous statements. One, that Jesus is the Christ and that Christ was crucified. That, that, that one, there is a Christ that God, Jesus was this anointed and sent one, God intervening in human history, that, 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 that we believe that that happened, and that not only to that, we believe that God's intervention in human history died. And did not just die a standard death, old age in his bed when he was old and full of years, but rather was executed in the manner of a terrorist. And, then, and despite controversy and conflict and despite confusion, we preach and proclaim these scandalous truths. And those would be enough on their own, but the story doesn't end there because we also preach Christ risen. And this is incredibly important for us that we preach Christ risen because we began Friday, our sermon on Friday with the image of the cross, a literal cross standing in, in, the, in the ruins of what was Notre Dame Cathedral. And, and we focused on that idea of that cross being the, the image of our faith, but no less central an image to our faith is this image of the empty tomb. Just as crucial to our life is the, uh, uh, just as crucial as the cross is, is this empty tomb. And, and this is much harder to make into a logo. And I know that that's slightly amusing for people, but the reality is that shapes the way that we view our faith and the way that we view the world. Because we focus on this cross and that's incredibly important and I do not want to in any way diminish the cross. But if the cross without the empty tomb is irrelevant, the cross without the empty tomb is merely a method of state execution. The cross without an empty tomb is merely a demonstration that the world operates as it always operates, that the powerful get what they want and they destroy those who stand in their way. But the reality is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we proclaim Christ risen. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus is coming again. Christ is risen. And I'm not going to attempt to prove to you this morning that Jesus rose from the dead. There is evidence of that. We can do that. There are sermons out there that you can find online that will attempt to prove to you, if you do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was raised from the dead. I, I, there, there is existence still of this. There, is, there, there are more evidence of Jesus than, than most figures in human history. And the greatest evidence that, that Jesus is risen is this room where thousands of miles away and thousands of years after the event, we are still commemorating it. Something happened there. And all over the world, people across every culture and every other ethnicity celebrate Christ as risen. But rather than trying to prove that to you, I would like us to, 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 to focus on the ramifications of that and the essentialness of this to our faith. And I want us to focus on Christ risen because we need to understand that without Christ risen, we have no faith at all. This is very clear in what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is very, there, there is a group of people in, in this church in Corinth. 
proclaiming that, that there was no resurrection of the dead, that, he, that even though they believed in Jesus that there was no resurrection of the dead, that that was a nice story, but we should follow ourselves in, in the teachings of Jesus. And, and Paul responds to that by saying this, that if Christ is not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses of God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If he did not raise him from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has been not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then only then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have peace and we have hope in Christ, we are of most people to be pitied. If Christ is not raised, if we dismiss the empty tomb, if we ignore it and push it away, we've all got better things to do on Sunday morning. There is no need for us to be here if Christ is not raised. So we need to stand firm in that. That rather that, that, that we are that we preach and we live in this reality of Christ risen. And I want to talk about the ramifications of living within the light of that resurrection. And, and these become quite clear as Paul talks in his letter to the Colossians. He says this, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ from God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. This is a really interesting idea about the ramifications of believing that Christ is risen. Because believing that Christ is risen is not merely an assertion of a fact. Like, yes, this is a thing that I believe. I believe that, that climate change is human-caused. I believe that when I drop something, it will fall to the ground. I believe that water boils at 100 degrees Fahrenheit and freezes at zero degrees Fahrenheit. I believe-ish. All right, fine. I, I believe that Christ is risen. It's not merely an assertion of fact. Believing that Christ is risen necessarily has impacts on the way we operate day-to-day -day in the world. And Paul makes this quite clear when he says that since we have been raised with Christ, since we have been bought into him, since, since Jesus has been raised, that our life has been sealed with him, that, that the Bible is quite clear that even as we entered into sin through Adam, we enter into life through Jesus, that that has now been imbued in our DNA, that this resurrection brings life. And because of this, no one on this planet, no human that you meet, no one in this room, no one that you encounter in line at the bank or at Tim Hortons or who blocks you in traffic or who, who does not mow their lawn the way that you wish them to mow their lawn, no human being that you encounter is merely this. No human being that you encounter is only this body. No human being is only the sum of their behaviors. No human being is only how they interact with you. Every human being is imbued in the, in the, with the image of God and is an eternal being. And as a result of recognizing that every human being that you meet is an eternal and an eternal being, we ought to operate differently one with another. And I want to be clear as we say this, that we want to set our hearts on things above rather than earthly things. I want to be really clear what this does not mean. This does not mean 
that, that because we're so focused on Jesus that we just float through this world never actually touching anything. That we, don't, that we don't dare sink to the level of people's day-to-day concerns. That, that, that we just float through unaffected like some sort of weird Vulcan experience. That is not what we've been called to. What we've been called to is to have a clearer focus on things that are eternal and those things that are temporary. So much of our attention as human beings is focused on those things that are temporary. So much of the things that cause us anxiety and dismay and and grab our attention and our energy are just temporary. Things like celebrity, things like economics, things like political parties and nations, things like careers and buildings and denominations, all of these things are temporary. They will go away. And that is hard for us to grasp with our short span of human history. But as as dismayed or excited as everyone was about the election that happened last Tuesday, 100 years from now, no one will care about it one whit. It is temporary. And as such, our focus ought not to be on things that are temporary, but things that will last. So this question is then, okay, what does matter and what will last? What are those things that are going to be essential for eternity if we're supposed to focus on those things? And Jesus himself makes it quite clear for us. He tells a story where he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is what it will be like. And this is the second part of the story that all of you know well. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, would we, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. It's quite clear through the teachings of Jesus that our brothers and sisters are heavenly things are things set above. And every human you meet bears the image of God in the same way that the toonie bears the image of the queen. And as such, because they have the image of God in them and emanating from them, they require dignity and caring and grace and kindness and love. That is the reality of what lasts forever. So while we get so focused on celebrity and admiration, while we get so focused on careers and and, and security, while we get so focused on those things that that rise up and demand our attention, what Jesus is calling us to pay attention to are the people around us. How are you treating your brothers and sisters? How are you interacting with the people around you? Do they recognize that you see the godliness within them? Or are you so focused on what is temporary that you're lost? 
Paul continues in his letter to the Colossians. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is an interesting passage because it demonstrates in some ways how we as an evangelical church have gotten distracted in so many ways. Because when we read this passage, as we go through it, there's two things that have come out here that end up being seeming to be the most important thing that Christians will talk about, and that is sex and swearing. That we're going to read this passage and say, see, this says that we're not supposed to have sex with different people and we're not supposed to use foul language. But what does Jesus, what does Paul actually say? You used to walk, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with, with, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is a fascinating passage. Because all we get from that is that we ought not to, we ought to be careful with our sexual behavior and we ought not to swear we are missing the larger point. Jesus is saying quite clearly, yes, put off sexual immorality, put off lust. Those are important things to put off. But also put off any sort of idolatry that distracts you from, from God eternal and makes you think that things that are temporary are going to satisfy you eternally. The problem with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed is that we look to all of those things to do for us what only God can. We look to sex to make us feel valued. We look to food to fill us up. We look to money to give us security and safety. We look to impurity to make us feel cool and in and belonging. And, and, and none of those things are, none of, the, none of those things can do what we're asking them to do. Only God can do those things. Only God can make us feel valued. Only God can make us feel safe. Only God can make us feel as if we belong. And when we ask the things of this world to do God's jobs, then they become idols for us and they prevent us from seeing the truth and the life that God is offering us. Yes, we should have our sexual desires in check. Yes, we should be in control of our, of our food and our greed. Yes, we should monitor all those things. But that is not primarily what God is concerned with. God's primary concern is that we, that we do not have any other gods before him. And all of these things easily become that. And in addition to that, not having idols, we also should control the way that we treat one another. Put off anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Like, yes, don't have a potty mouth. But don't have a potty mouth because your potty mouth can sometimes exclude people and make them feel small rather than making them feel lifted up. This is a command for me as well. Rather than merely talking about, talking about swearing and, and how we use, what, what choice of words do we use, are we describing those whom we disagree with with dignity? Are, are our words making people feel as if they have a status and a place and respected and that we see the godly image that is imbued within them? And the consequences of this are, are massive 
because we get one of the most radical statements that you can ever say in human history in the last half of here. Here, meaning this place where God is supposed to rule, where we have agreed that Christ is risen, in this place there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There are no divides between us. There are no statuses between us. There are no ethnic groups that are better than another ethnic group. All of that is irrelevant and wiped away by the sweeping factor that Christ is all and is in all. This is incredibly important for us as a church, and this is becoming more and more important in our city, where more people are starting to stand up and boldly say that there are certain ethnic groups which need to be pushed away, that there is certain ethnic groups that ought to be held in supremacy over others, and we as followers of Jesus need to stand up and say no. That is not true. It's not true because our God has told us it's not true. It's not true because our scriptures have told us it's not true. And it's not true because we know that God has imbued in every human being his own image. And because his image is on them, none of them are lesser. And all of us are equal in the sight of a saving and rescuing God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we want to know how we ought to operate in a world where we ought to focus on things that are eternal rather than temporary, it's not complicated. It's just difficult. Clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I'm not going to argue with you that this is not difficult. It is incredibly difficult. I do not wear humility well. I get agitated. I do not wear gentleness well. My words come across as harsh. But this is what I've been called to. And it is not simple. Sorry, it is, it is incredibly difficult, but it is not complex. Bear with each other and forgive one another as if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since members of one as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in you. This is... One of the most difficult sentences I've tried to grasp as I've gone over this over the last multiple weeks, how do we let the peace of Christ dwell in us? And I think at the heart of it is understanding the reality of the world around us and that this empty tomb changes everything. Because those things that are so consuming for us, those things that are so anxiety-inducing, those things that, that, that push off peace and build barriers for the peace of Christ to get in, all of those things are temporary things. And need to be, need to be, uh, need to be overcome in the reality of what Christ has done. That Christ is risen. And as a result, everything is changed. And as a result, we are eternal and everyone that we meet is eternal. And, and the ways that we treat them and the ways that we interact with them and the grudges that we hold are, are, are so infinitesimally small 
in comparison with the life and the eternity that we are promised in Jesus. So as we sing some more songs, I would like us to reflect together, to truly have this peace of Christ dwell in us through this singing, but not remain there, but to also walk forward, understanding that this demands a change in the way that we operate today and for eternity. Let's pray together. God. We are thankful that you are risen. And we are thankful that because you are risen, we can operate differently in the world in which you have placed us. That we can, that we can ignore and, and diminish those things that are temporary. And that we can focus our attention on those things that are eternal. Even though this world tells us to focus on things that are temporary, to give all of our attention to them, to give our, all, all of our time to them, to give all of our love and our resources to them, help us to truly trust you and, and set up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And we ask that your kingdom come and your will be done, not just in this world, but in our hearts as well. And we ask this in your name.